disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. All right, let's talk about big tech censorship. We're in a dangerous place when it comes to open forums, freedom of speech, debating ideas, tearing ideas apart in America. Adam Raziri is Chief Marketing Officer for Agency Partner Interactive, and he is going to be our guest here on today's program because we got to talk about what's happening with all of the censorship and what, what the consequences of that could be. So we'll dive right in that conversation. But first, thanks to our uh, our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. I love these guys. I love Tim, the founder of the business. I love his work ethic. I've seen his work ethic firsthand. They did our kitchen and our master bath. And I am still confident that it, this is the reason why our house, one of the reasons why our house sold so quickly uh, was the work that they did because it just made the house amazing. And I, I can't even, I, it's not possible to underestimate uh, how important a, a, a really homey, feely kitchen is. Uh, to your enjoyment of life in your home. So if you're thinking about it, don't put it off anymore. Give them a call at 502-930-3304. Uh, 6200 Hit Lane, right on the border of Oldham County and Louisville, or Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. If you're in southern Indiana, Louisville, or uh, Oldham County, these are your folks. If you're a contractor or do-it-yourselfer, they've got high-quality counter uh, cabinets in stock. Uh, or, again, they've got three designers on staff if you want to do a full turnkey remodel. So check them out at LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com. And now our conversation uh, with market, digital marketing guru Adam Raziri. And we start out the conversation, I'm talking about the fireplace that I'm putting in and all the remodeling troubles that we're having. Uh, my wife and I have been remodeling our house for the last two years. And we've, but we've been doing a lot of it ourselves on the weekends yeah. and stuff. and. But but just this week alone, yeah, I've had like the HVAC guy here. I had a plumber <laughs> here. The city replaced my my twenty two year old water meter yesterday morning. <laughs> and wow. on top of that, there's a green belt in front of my house. And I was actually really nervous about that for this spot in particular because the city is redoing a sidewalk in this green belt. And I was just like, oh. man, if there's this if if there's the sound of like heavy machinery right. during this pod, like <laughs> come on, <laughs> yeah, twenty twenty is over. Come yeah. on, man. <laughs> it's it's it is it's the way of it, you know. I I wish I had the skill to put in my own stuff like this, but. I got unfortunately oh, rely on others. Skill. Yeah. No, no, Leland, you don't need any skill. All you need is Schneiderbach, YouTube, and just a there stubborn spirit. Yeah, there you go. Stubborn spirit. <laughs> I do. I have all three of those things, so I guess I can probably do it myself next time. So you're good. Uh, yeah. So well, I'm, <laughs> yeah. Ro I'm rolling here. I, I want to introduce you. Um, it's it's great to have you on. This is the first time we've had you on the podcast, Adam Rizzieri. Did I say your last name right? So it's like Riz, okay. e, like like Lake Erie. Rizzieri. Rizzieri. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you can imagine the first day of school was always different. <laughs> Everybody just give up and call you Rizzo. <laughs> I, actually, yeah, I got Rizzo. I got Riz. But then on top of that, I'm a middle name guy too. So they're just like, oh, so your real name is is is, is Steven. Uh, I'm like, dude, my my middle name is my real name too. Just look at my birth certificate. It's it's real. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I love it. Chief marketing officer for agency partner interactive. And, and for those that are wondering why we're having you on, you help, this is actually a really interesting correlation because you help companies market themselves online. And right now, um, a lot of companies based on their politics are coming under fire from social media. 
And we've got, I think, something that's very dangerous emerging, and that is this idea of censorship. Again, I want to make it very clear. What happened at the Capitol last Wednesday was traitorous. It was, it was, it was abhorrent. And I want those people tracked down and, and tried and convicted. That being said, the reaction to this from a free speech standpoint is much, much broader than just the extremists. And, and the other side of it is if you want to take down you know, actual plans – for uh, violence and violent threats, fine. Nobody's going to argue with that. But silencing ideas, whether they be extreme or not, really only leads those extremists to go underground where we can't see them and become more dangerous. You make a great point. You know, and I I totally agree with you. I mean, what we saw at the Capitol, that is not the American way. That is not how we do things in our country. Um, but, but, you know, it's been, been really, I guess, unfortunate to see this assault on free speech, really just seeing, you know, those in Silicon Valley, pretty much the, the, the leaders of big tech between Silicon Valley to New York, looking at this and using this as an excuse really to, in a very collusive sort of way, find ways to control the narrative of a nation. I mean, we're talking about companies here that control really the information flow of over 3 billion people. Um, Some might argue that they've got the de facto power of a government, you Mm -hmm. know? And so when you look at how they are really choosing which conversations to amplify and which ones to silence, and and when you see just so much inconsistency, you know, in their their actual guidelines and then the enforcement of those guidelines, I I think it points out some very obvious questions here. And, And when it comes to just thinking, you know, down into the future, Am I going to have the ability to say what I need to say? And, and, and also, is someone who disagrees with me going to have the equal opportunity to disagree with me in a public way right. that is fair, that does create a conversation? Because, you know, I, I think healthy conflict is what makes a business good. You know, having healthy internal conflict helps, helps a business grow and helps a business sort of negotiate that difference between uh, being really greedy and then also providing their, their customer with an amazing output, like an amazing product. Um, so, so similarly, I think some healthy conflict is kind of what makes our system work, right? Mm-hmm. This, yeah. this idea of, you know, minority rights, uh, majority rule, you know, like respecting the, the, the minority voice, wherever that voice might be and, and whatever position that might be as well. Yeah. Um, but when you realize that a bunch of people who are not elected to make these decisions are the ones that are now kind of making decisions about what yeah. the country should be focusing on. Man, Leland, like, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah, and and I I I get this, and I I lean libertarian. I'm an independent. Um, I I don't say I left the Republican Party. The Republican Party left me a long time ago. I've been an independent for probably seven or eight years. Um, that being said, I lean more libertarian than anything, and so I loathe government regulation. But what we have here is a very different situation. I I have a one of the I like to read biographies of important people, some of whom I agree with, some of whom I disagree with. I I have a two-volume set uh, biography of Joseph Stalin, of all people. Um, Wow. Yeah, but and it's fascinating reading because, and I don't don't have that because I like the guy. I have it because I despise the guy, and I, I wanted to know how does a despot like this rise to power to do what he did. So some of the biographies that I have are of people that maybe you know, wouldn't be very popular, one of which is John D. Rockefeller. And the the character was a fascinating character, but the rise of Standard Oil and the way that they treated other businesses 
that is not free market, right? Like I don't, I never want to limit success. I don't believe success is finite. I think that we all, you know, it, it, that's what I love about America. People can come here from other countries. You're not stealing a job when you come here from another country, you're adding to the economic pot. You know, that being said, um, what we saw with Standard Oil was a frightening thing that that along came Teddy Roosevelt and he busted it up. There's a little bit of an argument to be made here that in order to protect free markets, there was an antitrust move made by collusion between several different sort of oligarchical tech companies that do several different functions that all help to control the flow of that information within our society. And when they all colluded together to stamp out one particular competitor or to stamp out certain businesses or ideas, we have a major antitrust problem on our hands. And again, it's not its not a matter of uh, are they private companies that have the right to do what they want. It's a matter of this is not a market where the, the, the marketplace of ideas are free. Absolutely, absolutely. And, I, and obviously we just saw a very public example of that with Parler, you know, from one week where a private company a startup is number one on the app store literally last week. Right. And then here we are this week. And by Monday morning, this number one downloaded app was out of business, basically, you know, obviously pending some legal actions, but, um, but kind of realizing that you can have certain like-minded leaders at a collection of companies. And I think this is where like the word cartel kind of comes out a little bit. That's a great word for this. you know, and that, and that's 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 one of the words also that you'll read when it comes to learning about antitrust is, you know, that basic concept of of operating like like a cartel. And mind you, I'm a digital marketer, so I kind of I kind of feel this more than I more than I know it because I'm not an attorney, right? But I right. feel it in a strong way. And so when you see a collection of companies, and we're going to start with, you know, let's just start with Twitter, right? Looking back to December, we saw Twitter form a really lucrative long term agreement with Amazon for hosting of the millions of tweets that come out of the platform, they sign an agreement that's going to last them several years into the future. So here we have a, a nice alliance between, um, you know, obviously vendor and customer, Amazon and Twitter. Now, here we are in January, and this terrible situation happened at the Capitol. And uh, at the same time, it became sort of an opportunity for Twitter to maybe, and this is speculation, but maybe Twitter had some sort of conversation with uh, Amazon at the same time that Google Play is sort of saying, hey, you know what? I think we're going to take you off of our app store because we just don't think that you deserve Section 230 right. privileges, but we think Twitter is okay to have them. But but Parler, we don't think you deserve Section 230 because you're not one of us. You're not right. a cool kids cool kids group, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> the next day, Apple, you know, you're off the app store. And then Amazon just kind of just has that finishing, that, that kill shot, I guess, that, yeah. that last shot to the company. And it's just, it's really interesting to me that the day after all of this happens, one of Jack Dorsey's little pet projects, uh, the signal messaging app becomes number one. Right. And, downloads. and, and wasn't, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and of it's, course it's a little weird, right? It is like, a little weird. I hadn't about thought that. about that, but that is a little weird. Um, a couple of things I want to address. I want to address section two thirty for a second. Um, I don't know where you come down on this, but I actually am against repealing it. I think it's been misinterpreted. Um, and this is one of the areas of strong disagreement I have had with President Trump uh, for several months now. And in fact, having to explain it over and over again to people 
who think because he said it, it must be the right thing to do, which is part of the problem you get when you fall into the cult of personality instead of actually making judgments about situations based on the principles involved. But Section 230 essentially was established to protect free speech, to say if you're offering a public forum, you're not going to be held responsible for what people say or do on that forum. And I don't, for the life of me, I don't understand who got in Trump's ear and told him that that should be repealed. There's actually a bipartisan effort to do so, and that 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 concerns me perhaps even more than everything else that is out here because Section 230 simply says, if I understand it correctly, and I want you to try to explain as well because I think you know more about this than I do. But as I read it, it 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 is essentially establishing protection so that you can have an open forum, and I feel as though when when Twitter takes responsibility for certain ideological things on their site, they don't realize it, but they're really taking responsibility for every ideological thing on their site. So I feel like they don't deserve the protections of, of 230 so long as they don't allow an open forum. Does that make sense? It does. And I think you and I are on the same page here. And, and frankly, just kind of listening back to one of your prior episodes with uh, Congressman Massey, I don't think the idea of just repealing it is the right way to go about this at all, because I think Section 230 was created because, you know, shocking, right? As Americans, we desire free speech. Right. We, we desire that. <laughs> and so when when this this big tech phenom, you know, let's just go back 15 years when when big tech was kind of just young tech, um, maybe even, maybe even back to you know the early 2000s, right? basically what was happening is this new public forum was coming to light, this new way of communicating in a very public way that allowed uh, us to have conversations with each other. And the idea of repealing it, I think, you know, we're, we're kind of a world of, of headline readers, you know, that the concept of clickbait's a real thing. And I think the public without really knowing what section 230 is, in a lot of ways kind of jumps on the bandwagon of saying, you know what, get rid of 230. It's the devil. Um, <laughs> right. But, but, you know, it's the devil, Ricky Bobby, but it's just not. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it, I, I think it's just a basic misunderstanding of what Section 230 is. Yeah. I think the, 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 the reason being is just because I think people saw it somewhere and, and picked up on it. Just kind of like the, the hashtag that was uh, viral on Twitter the other day, Pelosi loves Trump, you know? It's like, <laughs> yeah, like, like as if there were this love story of, of Pelosi and Trump, like never, right? right. But, uh, but, but if I'm looking to kind of what, Section 230 really should be kind of in form and in function. Um, you know, I think we just need to have some better definition around it. And some of the things that that you and Congressman Massey were talking about were, you know, well, why can't why can't uh, social media platforms be held to the same legal standards as you know what we can and can't say when we're on a sidewalk or you right. know in a in a town hall meeting? Right. Why why can't we just make it simple and say, hey, listen, if it's defamation, if you're threatening physical harm, right, or if you're extremely profane. You know, like those things are not okay. So, you know, kind of looking at at social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and the like, when they're coming in and saying, you know what, this is okay, but this is not okay. Right. I mean, first of all, they're ignoring their Section 230 liberties. They don't need to be doing that. When, when they start making those decisions about what's okay and what's not okay, right. at that point, they're becoming publishers. You know, they're, they're becoming publishers when it comes to deciding what to, what to kind of edit and what to not you know right. I, I was so shocked that one of the nation's most I, I guess one of our first mainstream publications the new york post was was censored 
uh, earlier in, in 2020. Now, I guess, like, can you believe it's 2021? Yeah, oh, I can't. Gosh. I still, I'm still writing. <laughs> I'm still writing 2013 on my things I signed. <laughs> so I'm a little behind. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and if I'm not mistaken, Leland, the New York Post, I think, was founded by was it Alexander Hamilton? Yes, it was. And and there you go. yeah, and 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 that's another thing too. Well, I want to let you finish your point. I didn't mean to interrupt, but yeah, it was founded by Alexander Hamilton. So it's one of the oldest newspapers yeah. in the country. Well, my my point is just simply that you know these social platforms that enjoy Section two hundred and thirty liberties are, are really immunities, right? These privileges, right. these these Section two hundred and thirty immunities make these guys unlike every other private company that's out there. Right. I mean, my my my, my digital agency does not enjoy Section two hundred and thirty. Right. Most companies right. don't. You right. know, if, whatever we say, we're we're responsible for whatever we say. Yeah. Let's just not be our, let's just, let's not be the drunk uncle. You know? Right. Right. <laughs> so, right. So, um, you know, if we have some consistency in how, you know, these rules, these these terms of service are enforced, which we do not. Yeah. Um, if, if we have some consistency there, then I think that would make things a lot better. But, I mean, think about this. The people at the top, the people that run big tech, they are entitled to their own opinion. They're entitled to their own political views. It's America. But those those views and opinions are going to dictate how they enforce terms of service. And yeah. so that's why we see so much inconsistency here. And when it comes to, you know, Trump being silenced versus Biden being amplified in, in many cases, uh, it, it's a big problem. Yeah. And it's not just about it's not just about them being able to connect with their their audience. It's also about journalists being able to go to the source. Yeah. You know, Trump had 88 million followers on Twitter and 30 million on Facebook. I guarantee you not eight, not all 88 million of his followers liked the guy. Right. You know, there are a lot of oh, yeah. a lot of journalists who are just wondering what's he going to say next, right? right? right. Um, and similarly on Facebook. So when you when you as a as a social media platform, what should be a public forum, when you silence one of one of the institutions of our of our government, you know, our our, our executive branch of of government, that's a huge problem. You're now looking really at a at a big tech cartel. Yeah, that is really taking on de facto governmental power. Yeah, no, absolutely. You 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 weighed in on the election, and then the side that 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 ultimately won, um, and then afterwards you you actively silenced the other side. I I think one of the going back to the New York Post story about Hunter Biden, which turned out to be a very legitimate news story. This is part of the reason why the reaction to the censorship is what it is. If you were just banning, I don't even have a problem with Twitter saying, you know what, Trump, that was over the top because he made some over the top comments. I actually hold sure. Trump partially responsible for what happened at the Capitol um, because, and I, I went through this earlier uh, with another, on another episode with another congressman. I said, look, if you, if you compile the data over the last two or three months, there was a member of Trump's staff who was working on the campaign who resigned in early December, actually rather quietly, but she recently came out and said, yeah, the, the internal polling that Trump had actually lined up almost exactly with the actual outcome of the election. Now, I have my own beef with the way the election was run this year, and I think it has to do with mail-in balloting, and I, I have ideas for how to fix that to avoid potential problems. But in terms of the number of votes counted, the number of votes cast, I think we got the right number. Um, because the, it lined up with the polling that the president had. And if that's the case, then he's been for two months agging on a conspiracy theory, right? And they've never been able to show proof in, in court. But here's the problem. So if they if they wanted to censor maybe Trump saying, hey, everybody go to the Capitol, what, what, you know, whatever, in a, a very heightened time like this, fine. 
but cutting him off entirely. He's the president of the United States. But when you take that into conjunction with the fact that there were activists from Antifa colluding online openly, making threatening comments, talking about what they were going to be engaging in. They were attacking government buildings, government employees. They were attacking and burning small businesses, so on and so forth. And I want to make this very clear. Granted, what happened in the Capitol is worse. If we're talking about a scale of one to ten. The Antifa stuff was like an eight or nine, and this was definitely an 11. But they were still both bad. And you see the, the complete juxtaposition of how Twitter handled those two things. Censoring a legitimate news story that would have hurt the candidate that ultimately won and then taking down the, the, the guy who lost, coupled with, if you listen to Jack Dorsey and his people on Joe Rogan's podcast where they vehemently denied any kind of censorship, and then the same thing happening when they got before Congress. That's what's got under people's skin is that we all see what has happened here and we know that they're lying through their teeth that it's just terms of service. It is clearly political. It is clearly political. Absolutely. You can go and look at the personal Twitter accounts of Twitter's leadership and you'll see just how personal it is. You know, just just the idea that they would uh, they would circulate the unverified steel dossier and no problem there. And, you know, the illegal posting of Trump's taxes, man, eh, no problem there. Let that continue. Uh, and then the lack of censorship, you know, on the Ayatollah's multiple accounts with <laughs> right. multiple languages asking for a genocide and, and, and war against Israel. Right. I mean, are you kidding me? It, 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 the bias is just rampant. It's, it's right. insane. And, and, so and then they had the unmitigated it, gall to, to comment on the Ugandan situation where they're like, hey, we heard that Uganda's government was trying to censor social media. We stand against that. <laughs> and everybody's like, what? <laughs> I, saw, I, I don't that. understand. I, saw I, could, I couldn't believe that. You know, it, it's, it was almost like, so I was on LinkedIn and I saw somebody talking about, oh my goodness, there's some terrible stuff on Parler. Man, the same terrible stuff is on Twitter. Oh, by the way, Facebook uh, in Myanmar, let's just talk about how the government used Facebook to basically get public support for a genocide against a religious genocide against the Rohingyas. Right. You know, I mean, big tech tries to be high and mighty, but the reality is that their leadership is very self-righteous and they're not even drinking the Kool-Aid they're serving. Right. Yeah, I, I think and, and this is the thing that bothers me. Well, let, let me back up here again. There was a I don't know if you follow the Babylon Bee or not, but it's pretty hilarious. Oh, yeah. Um, they had a, I was just messing around on their site today and they had a post and it was like, uh, conservatives banned from Twitter show 300% improvement in mental health. And I was like, <laughs> you know what? That's funny because it's true. I, I, I was talking to a congressman this morning and I said, you know, if we really back up and look at this at a macro level, let's, and, and I want to be careful here to hold everyone responsible for their own actions. So the people who stormed the Capitol viciously beat Capitol police engaged in traitorous actions. And that is what it is absolutely need to be found and held to full account. Absolutely. I think President Trump bears some responsibility given his rhetoric on that day and given what he probably knew. Yes. But on a macro level, what responsibility does social media itself hold to the divisiveness in our country? Because I was thinking about, you know, the Heisman move, right? Twitter is all about everybody doing the Heisman move. Look at what I just did. I just trashed you. I just owned you. I just pawned you. Whatever. That's what Twitter is. It takes one comment that somebody makes that is not even the beginnings of a full conversation and then sets up whether or not you know that person is a viable person in today's society based on that one comment. And that, to me, is part of what's made us so divisive because no one talks to each other in person, regardless of their political views, 
the way that we talk to each other on Twitter or Facebook. Well, you're right. You're right. And actually, if you think about kind of just the the past, uh, gosh, 2021, right? The past 20 years. So the App Store and the iPhone got really big in the mid 2000s. Once upon a time, our attention spans were in excess of 12 seconds. And since the (laughs) rise of big tech, you know, the average attention span right now is like less than a goldfish. It's like eight seconds, you know? So it's no figure. It's no wonder that you know, we're, we're, we're kind of a society of headline reader, readers that fall victims to clickbait and that, you know, and, and I think that goes back to the thing about Section 230, like, oh, just repeal it, right? Oh, just get rid of it. It's, that's the problem. Just just repeal it. Right. No, no, no. L- let's learn about it. Let's let's really explore the issue and, and figure out what's real and what's not real. Yeah. And so I think people are just trying to move so quickly from one thing to the next, just quick hits here and there of information yeah. um, without really exploring, I think, conversations that need to be had right and and you know when, when you look at kind of what's happening with big tech what's that old thing that the that they used to say kind of in socialist systems and, and i'm going to say this with a bad like communist accent but it's like the nail that sticks out must be pounded down you know it's like <laughs> right right <laughs> like it's just all about conformity and and it totally gets rid of individualism and it's just like this concept of group think that is so right. dangerous yeah and you know the, the sad thing is is we're kind of moving closer and closer towards that direction yeah. um I you think... know when part well, i was just going to say when parlor got shut down you know just months ago, they were offering $20,000 bounties to try and attract left-leaning influencers to their platform so that they could create more of a balanced conversation, a true dialogue. That has know? never and been so, reported in the media because I haven't heard that. I have not heard that once. Yeah. That, so so there you go is a perfect example of the misinformation because the media is uniformly saying that Parler, and they do this with anybody that comes up as a potential um, you know, competitor to Facebook and Twitter, uh, they they uniformly say, oh, that's where all the right wing extremists go. That's where all the racists go, or whatever. And right. in reality, um, I think Parler just wanted to be a place where free speech was celebrated, whether you were left or right. Absolutely. I think back to the South Park uh, episode. This is back when Obama was elected, and it's Randy Marsh. He's like, I thought this was America. I mean, <laughs> I thought this was America. What happened? What happened to our our, our freedom of speech? Right. Um, it, it, this is incredibly concerning, and I think you know when it comes to you know, just asking ourselves, what can we do to change this? Yeah. I mean, we have to be very vocal and very, you know, have a conversation, a peaceful, respectful conversation between two sides that maybe disagree, but can come to a happy medium. Yeah. Um, and we have to talk to our legislators about it. We have to talk to also just as customers, right? We all consume the products that we're kind of complaining about right now. I mean, big tech offers some really great stuff, right? Yeah. We, the yeah. products and services that they give us are, are fantastic for the most part. But as customers, we have to talk to these companies and say, guys, this is what we expect from you, you know, in this relationship. Well, we're Uh, we're, out of concerns. The problem is we're not customers. We're products with users. Right. Well, as users, we're products because that's how that's how Silicon Valley makes its money. It makes its money by being able to manipulate us into buying decisions or political decisions. We are the product and we're being sold to other people to the highest bidder. Yeah, I'm. I'm just gonna take a wild guess. Have you, you have you seen the social dilemma? Oh yeah, that's a fascinating yeah. piece so of it's, work. Yeah, it's it's big tech and drugs where we're all users, right? Right, right, <laughs> right. It's, it's kind of it's kind of shocking. So yeah, maybe you know what? Maybe we are just users. But you know what? If it really kind of maybe it opens up this right. So if we're just users, you know, once upon a time, wasn't it the public utilities that just cons- uh, considered? all of us just rate payers right you know at right. what at what point do we just say all right you know what amazon you are now 
a public utility. Right. We, we, you can you can call us users all you want. Sure. Okay. We're ratepayers. You're a utility now. Yeah. Um, you are truly kind of providing this this. Uh, it's it's like information water. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I would hate for it to come to that. I I really don't want it to be that. I want I want there to be some formation of a consumer's rights point of view here that says. Look, we we don't want to mess with you the way you do business. We don't want to mess with how you make your money. What we are going to say is that if you're providing a public forum, it has to be just that. Short of violent threats, short of colluding together to plan violent activities, and short of, as you said earlier, obscene profanity, which is hilarious because you can find like a million you, uh, Twitter is full well, of porn, but you know it's Kathy not. Kathy Griffin's headless Trump image, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, that is awful. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, in your business, helping businesses market online, I'm just curious. You know, in today's world, how do you navigate that? Because now more than ever, and I and you know Forbes had a big article this morning in their editor-in-chief had to come out and try to backpedal from it but it was basically like hey we're going to hold everybody who worked in the trump administration so accountable they'll never get a job again you know these are oh, dangerous yeah. things right these are if and, and and i i said earlier to in a conversation i was having earlier i said look at you got 75 million people voted for trump they all had a personal reason for voting for him most of them were probably like me and just didn't like Joe Biden as the option, right? Didn't have anything to do with the cult of personality of Trump or liking Trump or thinking Trump was anything special, just that it wasn't socialism, right? Right. If right. you want to take... Just, it, well, it, if, I was going to say is if you want to take those 75 million and push a large portion of them into the crackpot, crazy, conspiracy theory, believing, potentially violent segment of population, the fastest way to do that is the exact way that Democrats, the media, and social media is reacting right now. And that is by silencing people and further confirming these notions that are conspiracies in people's minds into thinking that they're isolated and alone. And if you take away the ability of people whom you disagree with to make a decent living, they're not going to have anything to lose. You talk about a, a recipe for radicalization, it's right there. Absolutely. I, you know, when I was an undergrad, I had a class with a professor who came to the United States from Canada, and it was a comparative politics class. And he, he kind of talked about the idea of this pressure cooker, right? And at a certain point, if you just contain all the pressure and you force it underground, at a certain point, that pressure cooker explodes and it becomes really, really dangerous. That That's a, that's a threat. That's something that we have to really, really right. think about here. Right. Um and, and so, you know, I, I think back to some of his teachings and, you know, it, it makes me think about, you know, just how fortunate we are to be, you know, here in America as free thinkers. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, from a from a business perspective, though, you know, how do you navigate all of this? You know, are you going to get blacklisted if you, you know, support one business or, or choose to not support another business? I mean, are your, are your customer relationships or your vendor relationships going to you know, ostracize you from everyday life. You know, we've already seen, um, <laughs> we've already seen uh, certain academic institutions like Harvard come out and say, oh my gosh, you know, anybody, anybody that supported the Trump administration and, you know, let's just forget about the fact that Sean Spicer was a fellow at Harvard and, you know, Kaylee McEnany with the Harvard Law. Um, you know, they're, they're terrible people and we're going to try and isolate them from mainstream society. Yeah. Um, you know, so that, that's concerning stuff. 
from a business perspective, though, you know, uh, I run a marketing agency and we, we work with Google, we work with Bing, we work with these big tech companies all the time, Amazon for, you know, hosting. Um, and, and, and you realize that Google's acquired 200 and, over 260 companies over 20 years of operation. But let's just think about this. They control search, they control Android, they've got YouTube, they have a browser, they control Chrome. Uh, they know where you where you travel. They control Waze. They've got you know the G Suite, Google Docs, and Google Drive, and they know what temperature it is at your house. Google Nest, and they've got smart speakers. And you know you think about just kind of how like their tentacles are sort of in every little facet of our professional and personal lives. They can monitor everything. And so when when it comes to you know user information and and privacy and just just the the things that make being an American great. Um, if that information is used in a bad way, I think that is a huge, huge concern. Yeah, I, uh, and so you know, it brings it brings up this huge conversation of, of just the the sanctity of our of our user data. Yeah, uh, as well. Yeah, because again, i i made the I made the argument, and you, if you listen to that conversation with Thomas Massey, you heard me say it. But I, you know, what would we be? What would be our reaction if AT and T started cutting off our cell phone calls or text messages because, you know, um, that that they didn't they disagreed with what we were thinking or saying we're not that far away from that actually happening i was using that as an analogy but it may have been prophetic um, it's kind of already happening right right well and i saw there's a story on nbc today that um a lot of these extremists that are uh fat passing around conspiracy theories have gone to a text message format where there's these viral text messages that are being forwarded and forwarded and forwarded and forwarded well, now that's even worse than happening on social media, right? Because there's no way to counter that. There's no, there's, it, it, it's just a, it's a text message and people are getting it from people they think are their friends and, you know, they don't know whether to discern or, or how to rebut it or anything like that as opposed to in an open forum. So again, you get, and, and so they're, they're, they're wrestling with how do we deal with this? Well, one of these enterprising liberals is going to say, well, we need to start monitoring everybody's text now. You know, I mean, it's going to turn out that I was prophetic, but the point is, You've driven people underground where now you can't see what's gone viral within certain circles. Therefore, you don't have any intelligence on what's developing there. You can't counter it. When you put people in echo chambers, they don't learn if their views are wrong or not because no one's challenging their views. And that's a terrifying situation. You're absolutely right. And then and then just take that a step further. When you put people in these echo chambers and then when you claim that certain things are public forums, but... The people are leading to echo chambers because they're seeing that the information in these public forums isn't necessarily the the truth or all of the truth. Right. Um. You know that that's a huge concern, right? We're, I, we're we're missing that public forum. Right. We're missing integrity, and, and so uh, integrity, authenticity, something that we can all believe in. Um. You know, it's it's when we see things on, you know, just our search results, right? We're all used to the fact that. You know, if my wife and I are talking about diapers, then and, and then I pull up Instagram, and all of a sudden I see like Pampers right. advertising. Right. We we kind of know that big tech's listening in, and that they're going to give us kind of what it thinks we want to see. Right. You know. Right. And right. so there's definitely a concern that if those are in, if those who are in charge of giving us what it thinks we want to see, or giving us certain pieces of information that it thinks will compel us to take certain actions or to start certain conversations. It, it, it's not far off to say that those who are kind of the puppet master can use our information to really compel us towards, yeah. you know, one outcome or another. Yeah. Manipulation. Um, yeah. 
for sure. Absolutely. And, and so, and so, you know, kind of in rebellion to all of that is, is kind of what you're talking about is this, this potential end result of people going further and further underground and, you know, not being public with things that should be public right. and not, not having conversations that should be had um, with, with either, you know, kind of a, a CTJ sort of response or, yeah. or, or with agreement. Right. Yep. Jack um, Welch, this, uh, the former CEO of G, uh, GE used to have a way that he would deal with ideas he would take them, he would make you put them in front of the entire team, and then he would require everyone to tear it apart. And the idea that survived was the best idea, and that's the decision that they made going forward. Without having that freedom to feel like I can throw this idea out there, and it can be debated in an intelligent way, um, and then picked apart, and then determined that this is, but you know, maybe some idea has a nut or a, a kernel or a seed of truth in it, and, and it can be built upon and so on and so forth. You know, when I look at the big issues facing America, for instance, healthcare, right? Everybody I talk to about basic tenets of a healthcare system that allows people to see prices, that allows people to shop competition, that allows people to save as much as they can tax free uh, towards, you know, healthcare so that they can self insure to a certain extent, that allows for tax credits for people and companies. Everybody agrees with it, left or right. But it doesn't matter because I'm that guy on the right that says it. So nobody's ever going to take that idea and say, well, let's just hone it. Maybe you're not quite right, Leland, but there's a couple things we could do here and there that would make it better. You don't have those conversations. You don't formulate good ideas to move the whole country forward. And that's that's kind of what concerns me about this is that we're we're narrowing the, 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 the tunnel of dialogue to one side of the political ideological aisle. Nothing's going to get tested. Nothing's going to get torn apart. And we're just going to have extremists in one area completely buried until they do something horrible and the mainstream just collectively going along with the flow, which scares me. It's kind of a lack of principles. I mean, and, and frankly, it's it's exactly what Pence needed to, to issue that letter uh, the other night to Pelosi, right? Yeah. <laughs> he used her words against her, you know? And, and, and so that's kind of it. People are just not living um, really with, with principles in terms of you know how their decisions are made. They're kind of yeah. moving towards either the, the most immediately – uh, profitable outcome, whatever that might be, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. Um, but you know, kind of going back to what you were saying about Jack Welch, it's nice to know what all the bad things are before you make a decision, Yeah. you know? And, yeah. and, and so I, in a lot of ways, and, and uh, you know, this may or may not be my position, but we all sort of knew about Trump's skeletons, you know, before he got elected, right. people kind of knew what was bad about him. And I think it's, it's that concept of, you know, the, the enemy that, well, maybe not the enemy, but but the the thing that I don't know, or the thing that I don't the devil trust, I know versus the devil I that, don't. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. it. Right. And you know, obviously with Clinton, I mean, so many things that we we see all all sorts of smoke, right? But where is all? Where where? How big is this fire? Right. You know, we see all the smoke, and 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 I do see similar concerns with Biden. Uh, I think people saw what was flawed with Trump and accepted that, and 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 elected him. You know, it, it, largely because they trusted that what was bad about him wasn't quite so bad that he, that he yeah. couldn't be president. Right. Yeah. hundred you know? percent. So what are you advising your business clients steer the hell away from politics? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Um, the, the thing that we advise is so, all right, the antitrust conversation is going to be one that continues for a while. It's not going to go away and it's also not going to be, you know, it's not going to be resolved anytime soon. Uh, when it comes to advertising, Facebook is still a very profitable profitable way for small businesses to advertise. Google right. similarly, 
but you know there is a lot of rejection for big tech and and i really appreciate that but as a marketer i have to advise people on what's you know best for them in terms of you know their bottom line uh, right now it's great to explore things beyond what you would typically look to being like facebook or instagram or, or google right uh, when it comes to just an advertising perspective look to bing bing, bing is microsoft they've been through their antitrust issues you know um but there are other platforms too, like DuckDuckGo, when it comes to you know trying to have a good search experience. Right. Uh, the the things that we advise our our customers really, they're they're all fairly specific to their business. But um, you know, in a lot of ways though, we are just kind of advising that people diversify what they would have done. You know, in 2019, maybe isn't what they should be doing in 2021. Right. Uh, email still works from a marketing perspective. Email is great. Actually, the ROI from email has gone up. It used to be like 38 to one as a generalization and now right. it's like 42 to one right you know so you can say you hate email all you want but it still works from a, from a business angle um now now you know from a topics perspective not just advertising but you know do i get involved in politics or do i not get involved you know it's 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 healthy to take a fairly centrist approach a very sober and um frankly a libertarian approach is pretty safe yeah, right? right nothing wrong with being economically conservative um you know, people respect that you respect their wallet, right? right. Especially yeah, if a it's point. a company that's going to work with a customer's wallet too, yeah. right? So, yeah, that's a good point. yeah um, but then at the same time, you know, don't be a jerk. <laughs> so, right. uh, I, I, I think I think that's kind of the best approach is to take uh, a fairly centrist approach. Do not yeah. be an extremist um, by any means, by any means, because um, there are extreme viewpoints that are out there. Yeah, and by the way, just in terms of wrapping up this conversation, um, it's it's later than it should have been but as we speak here and obviously people are going to hear this long after uh in some cases but as we speak the house has voted to impeach trump so he will be the second president impeached twice or the first president impeached twice now whether that's still trying to figure out for what yeah well in this case they they're the article of impeachment had to do with um inciting a riot but the president Uh, as they were debating that the president's statement made a statement in which he said that he doesn't stand for violence. He's calling on, he said, in light of reports of more demonstrations, quote, I urge that there must be no violence, no law breaking and no vandalism of any kind. That is not what I stand for, nor is it what America stands for. I call on all Americans to help ease tension, temper tensions and calm tempers. And then he called on uh, big tech to help him do that. Now this to me is something he should have done long time ago, but kudos to actually do it because that's what we need we need people to simmer down we need to take the temperature down a little bit there's a lot of things i don't like about biden's platform we're going to have those arguments over the coming days and years but right now americans just need to get together and and move on and and just ratchet down the the anger yeah well Um, you know leland i think an impeachment is just a great way to further sure uh, i would say infuriate 75 million voters yeah it's not I, the right way to, well but to it's create, not gonna it's you know. not gonna go to the senate i mean uh, senator yeah. mcconnell said today that he's not going to call an emergency session in order to consider the trial now that doesn't mean that a trial might not go on in the senate after the fact but we have no constitutional precedent for impeaching a political person who is no longer in office so i don't know how that's all going to play out um but I, I also believe that had he had the votes that McConnell probably would have brought it to a special trial, but they, they probably don't have the votes. But nonetheless, um, we, I think, all need to, to try to do our best in each of our categories of influence to try to calm things down a little bit. 
We, we do. We do. I, honestly, you know, the, the political situation is really unfortunate. Um, you know, just to kind of see an impeachment in the last few days of our presidency, yeah, it, just, yeah. it just seems totally counterproductive and right. it certainly won't so, so, you know, so, uh, solve any problems when it comes to unifying the nation. Right. So, yeah. so, so shame, shame on those, on those politicians that would kind of, you know, further that argument. But, um, the, the argument that I think really people should be running with now, you know, certainly moving from January 20th is this big, this big discussion around big tech collusion. Yeah. The, the, the reality is, is yeah. I mean, the long-term reality is we are not going to have our voices. We are literally going to be the nail that is silenced, the nail that's, that's yep. hammered down. Yep. Um, if we're not able to use these public forums to, to have healthy dialogues about what's important and also what's not important, you know, let's talk about pugs also. Right. 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 <laughs> um, well, and, and, and if we're not, not only not able to talk about them on these forums that exist, but we're also because of the collusion, not allowed to, create competing forums where those conversations could be had, you know, in competing forums where, you know, you don't have to go underground, so to speak, you just go to a different platform. And so something has got to be done about that. And, and what, what, let me add, wrap this up with a final question to you. And that is how would that regulation work? Cause we agree that get getting rid of two thirty isn't the answer here. So, so what is, what is the solution? How do we, not interfere with these companies' business operations, but we do say, look, if the product that you're offering is a public forum, that's what it's got to be. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think there's kind of two answers to it, unfortunately, but specific to Section 230, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of right on, on the same boat as you guys, you guys being you and Congressman Massey, um, make the standards for Section 230 the same as any other public forum, no, defini no defamation, no threats of violence, and keep the extreme the extreme profanity down. Um, but as far as like the the full solution, though, I think it does require that we dismantle some of big tech. And here's why: when you look at some of the things that Amazon is doing, and maybe, maybe you know what? Let me let me just step back. Maybe it's not dismantling, but it's changing how these companies are allowed to compete because they are competing using antitrust laws that are over a hundred years old. Amazon is able to use third-party seller data to white-label the products of companies who are selling things on their platform and then compete with them. Super not cool. So and we saw right. that with uh, – we, we've seen them put several small businesses out of business just by doing that. Yeah. So you can't have companies control the entire economy of their business um, in the way we've seen Amazon do. And then um, also, too, in the way that we've seen Google – uh, when it comes to how it leverages user data and its ad platform. Right. Um, so, you know, making sure the rules of competition are current and up to date. You know, I think we do need some antitrust reform. Uh, and then with Section 230, you really, really a bad idea to get rid of it. Don't do that. Right. Make sure that it's reformed a little bit, that it's very well defined, and that the players that are out there enjoying these Section 230 permissions make sure they're playing by those rules yeah. to the T. Yeah, totally agree with you. Hey, uh, will you come on again sometime? Anytime. I awesome. love talking to you, Lee. Yeah, this was great. I really enjoyed it and uh, good stuff. And I think stuff people can uh, can kind of take and, and think about. So, listen, Adam, uh, appreciate you. Um, appreciate your time. And, uh, again, we hope to have you on again soon. I really appreciate it, Lee. Right. Thank ha you so Have much. a good one. Okay. Yeah, really, I think that was a great conversation. And I, I got to be honest with you. Um, you know, like I said, I've tried to explain the, the whole Section 230. Um it's a bad idea to repeal it. What you need to do, I think what Adam Raziri said there was to make sure that if they're offering a public forum, that's indeed what they get. When they start selectively editing people, 
outside of just removing violent, specific violent stuff, when they start selectively editing people based on their politics, they don't deserve the protections of 230. But the protections of 230 need to stay in place in order, if everybody is abiding by the rules, for us to have that free and open conversation. So fascinating stuff. Anyway, Adam Lazieri, Chief Marketing Officer, Agency Partner Interactive. Uh, you can check it out at agencypartner.com. Thanks for your time. All right. Thank you for listening. Uh, big thanks to our sponsor, um, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, 6200 Hit Lane, Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, they've got three designers on staff to help you with your decisions. Uh, Kelly, Michelle, George, they're all waiting to see your smiling face. Walk in the door there. They're right on the border of Odom County and Louisville. Super easy to find. And check out their awesome showroom and see some of the examples of the work that they can do for you. So if you're looking for a turnkey kitchen remodel, whether you're looking for quartz or granite or whatever, they've got that for you. Now, if you're a do-it-yourselfer or a contractor, they've got cabinets, high-quality cabinets in stock now waiting for you. So you can definitely stop by there and make that your place uh, for supplies. So check that out as well. LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com, 502-930-3304. If you're in southern Indiana, Louisville or Odom County, these are your guys. They did our kitchen and we were super, super pleased with it. So thanks to Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Also, thanks to JP Web Design and Dynamics Audio Productions in Lexington, my co-executive producer, Cameron Mills, and to you, the thousands of you who download this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, keep telling your friends about us. You can download us free uh, subscription at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and at, um, at iHeartRadio's app. So it is free, and we'll send you new episodes as they come out. So check that out. Again, thanks for listening. I'm Leland Conway, The Disruption Zone.